All right, welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here at Blackhawk. Welcome to all of you who are in the room here with me at the Brader Way site. Welcome to those of you who are Gospel Fusion across the hall and Traditions across the hall. And those of you who are Blackhawk Fitchburg and Blackhawk downtown, how welcome. And those of you just watching online, whether you're in Las Vegas, Nevada, or Los Angeles, California, welcome uh, to Blackhawk. Bienvenido a Blackhawk to the Spanish speakers, Dijon, Zime, Pingan, to all of our Mandarin uh, speakers. Hey, let's give a shout out to uh, all of the graduates that graduated this past weekend here in the city of Madison. Let's hear it, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. If you uh, saw the paper today, more uh, students graduated from UW-Madison this year than ever uh, before. So uh, praise God. We just uh, love all the colleges here, especially UW-Madison. And then also, let's do another, let's do a shout out really loud. All moms. Let's hear it for all moms. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, that's good. You know what, yeah, I just whistled. I probably shouldn't do that in the microphone. So uh, sorry, everybody that heard that. There you go. Hey, a funny thing uh, happened on the way to planning the series. So we uh, planned the series uh, about a year ago. And uh, as we planned the series, we wanted to start the series in September and kind of stick with uh, the school year which was great. So that meant that we we're going to like finish uh, in May and the beginning of June. And also that meant that as we went through the storyline of the Bible, that we would uh, get to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus right around Lent and Easter. And we thought, okay, that's, that's going to really work out. So that meant that we would come to the kind of final movement in our series, Mission Accomplished, in the middle of May, and this is the middle of May. So here are the seven statements that we've been going through uh, since like the beginning of September. God's plan for humanity, humans rebel, God chooses a people, God's people rebel, Jesus the King, the empowered church. And today we're starting kind of a three parts on God's mission accomplished. So we gotta finish the story. So we gotta finish the story. So God's mission It's going to be accomplished. So what does that mean? So let's just go back a little bit to like Genesis 1. So in the beginning, God creates a beautiful world and everything that God creates is good. There's a perfect relationship that God has with human beings. Human beings have a perfect relationship with each other. Human beings have a perfect relationship with all creation. It's just like awesome, awesome, awesome. One of the good things that God creates is freedom. And when you create freedom, that means there is a possibility for rebellion. And that's exactly what the humans do. Humans rebel, and then sin, death, and evil, and injustice comes into the world. And we live in a world now where there's both uh, good and righteousness and beauty, and also evil and injustice. That's the world we live in right now. But God wants a world where there's only beauty, and only justice, and only love. So that means These two have to be separated at some time in order for the mission to be accomplished. Or in another way of saying it, uh, Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent. So that that separation happens when Jesus returns. Mission is then accomplished. So this is the Sunday we're going to talk about this mission being accomplished, where 
judgment comes to the world and hell happens. So this is Hell Sunday and it's Mother's Day. So what were we thinking? Yeah, oh, I, just, I just heard from a mother. She said, I got it right. Okay, all right. So there, so there you go. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a million little jokes I could go right now, but I'm just, I, I feel like I'm on thin ice with this whole talk. So there you go. So listen, uh, if you're brand new to Blackhawk Church, like say maybe your mother made you come today or something like that, uh, don't think that we talk about help every Sunday, because uh, we don't. So we want you to come back. Uh, come back next Sunday. No, don't come back next Sunday, because we're not having church next Sunday. So you're going, wow, this is a weird kind of church. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to Blackhawk. So at any rate. So come back the next Sunday after that, because the next Sunday after that, Senior Pastor Matt Messer is going to talk about the return of Christ, and we got to give that a whole Sunday. So he's going he's to do that. And then Pastor Charles Yu is going to talk about uh, the renewed heaven and the renewed earth, like heaven, the last chapters of the book of Revelation. So we got to give a Sunday to that. That's a great, great talk. So Charles gets heaven, Matt gets the return of Christ, I get the hell talk. <laughs> is something happening here? Like, what's going on here? Anyway, I get the hard talk. And it's a hard talk. Make no doubt about it. It's a hard talk for several reasons. One of those reasons is that um, when I say the word hell, what comes into your mind probably doesn't have much to do with the Bible. It's probably more related to a guy who lived in Italy in the 1300s named Dante. As Dante uh, wrote a kind of an imaginary play in which um, most scholars think he's talking about himself, he journeys through three different kinds of uh, compartments. And one of those is uh, hell, which he calls an inferno. And in uh, Dante's hell, uh, this is where bad people go uh, when they die. And then they're there to be tortured by Satan and his demons because hell is where Satan is, like right now. And hell is, that, that's where he is. And he tortures Satan loves it down there, and he likes to torture people. This is Dante's Inferno. That affected so much of European art and literature. One of the artists affected by Dante's view was Michelangelo. In the Sistine Chapel, uh, kind of where the altar is, you can see this that Michelangelo painted in the 1500s. And you see somebody like Satan, he's kicking people out of the boat, and he's... People are being tortured and held and things like that. Virtually none of that is in the Bible. But when I say the word hell, this is the kind of thing that comes into your minds. That's one of the reasons it's a hard talk. Because what we have in our mind, we think is biblical, but it's really not. A second reason a talk on hell is a difficult talk is because... The whole concept just sounds mean, just plain mean. Famous philosopher in the 20th century, Bertrand Russell, uh, writes this. I do not myself feel that 
any person who is really profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. So if you're a good person, if you're a humane person, you're not going to believe in this stuff about hell and damnation. Good people just really don't believe in that. I run into that all the time. Not too uh, long ago, I uh, was kind of volunteering at something here in Madison, and the two people who don't come to Blackhawk Church uh, came up to me, and they don't come to Blackhawk, but they knew kind of who I was. And uh, one guy comes up to me and says, hey, you're one of the pastors of Blackhawk Church. Uh, you guys don't preach hellfire and damnation, do you? And before I could answer, the other guy who doesn't come to Blackhawk says, no, no, that's not Blackhawk at all. Blackhawk's a good church. They like to talk about justice issues all the time. Heck, they close church down once a year just so that people can go out into the community and serve. They're like a loving church. And so the other guy says, oh, man, that's really good. I'm glad you're not one of those hellfire and damnation preachers. So that was a really kind of an awkward, strange moment for me. Because on the one part, I was really, really happy that people who don't even come to Blackhawk uh, defend us to other people and say, yeah, that's a good church. They actually do things in the community. But on the other hand, there was this misunderstanding that, well, if you're about Jesus and compassion and love, and that's all good, but don't be about judgment and justice and damnation. That's just bad. Jesus good? Hell not. The problem with that is if you read the Bible. Because if you want to get rid of hell, you got to get rid of Jesus. Because the same guy who preached love and compassion, you know, forgive your enemies when they sin against you, and that same guy talked more about hell and judgment than anybody else in the Bible, by far. He talks about hell a lot. So maybe Russell wouldn't consider Jesus to be a humane person. Jesus talked about hell a lot. Why? He's about justice. <laughs> and in order for the mission to be accomplished, Justice has to take place. Judgment has to happen. This is a biblical theme, and it runs all over the Bible. There are psalms that look forward to the coming judgment. Here's one of the psalms. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. Why? For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. You know, there's a composer named Isaac Watts. He read this Psalm 98 in kind of his personal study. And he wrote a song that all of you know called Joy to the World, The Lord Has Come. We think it's a, a Christmas song, but it's really 
a song about judgment. There's nothing in the song Joy to the World about Bethlehem or Jesus or Mary. It's about the judgment that is coming, Psalm 98. Psalm 96, judgment. Let all creation rejoice before Yahweh, when it's capital L-O-R-D, it's really the personal name of God, Yahweh. Why? For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. So there's this longing in the biblical authors. There's this longing of God's people that's like, oh my God, when is the Lord going to come back and judge people? We look forward to this. And um, who is going to return? Who's going to come and judge? It's going to be, in that passage, it said, Yahweh. Yahweh is going to come. And this is one of the things that upset the religious elite in Jesus' day so much because they all knew, it's kind of like Hebrew Bible 101, that Yahweh is going to come and judge the world. But Jesus said, yeah, that was his job. And that upset the religious leaders. Are you saying you're Yahweh? Jesus, in John chapter 5. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And we do a whole series on this passage right here. Let me look at it just real briefly. One of the things that Jesus is saying here, back in verse 24, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You have it. Has it. And will not be judged or condemned. It's crossed over from death to life. So eternal life is promised now to people who hear his word and believe what he's about, that God sent him to, to save the world. When you believe that, you have assurance of eternal life. You will not face a condemnation. That's what this verse is telling us. And then Jesus goes on and says that he is the judge. Time is coming when people will hear his voice. They will come out. He says, I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just. He is going to be the one who judges. When does that take place? Well, in the storyline in the Bible, we see this in the apocalypse. In Revelation chapter 20, we read this. John is writing. John is seeing a vision, the apostle John. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens 
fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You see this repeated three times. The lake of fire is uh, another way of saying hell. So let's look at kind of the traditional view of what people have and they think of hell. Here's the traditional view. You're born and you live and then you die. And then when you die, uh, you go to the St. Peter's Gate and he like has a password moment for you. You got to say the right thing in order to get into heaven. You don't say the right thing, you're going to go to hell. Heaven is a place where all of your dreams come true. All of your wishes come true. Cubs win the World Series every single year. Absolutely. By a lot. So your dreams, uh, your dreams come true. And hell, that's where Satan is. And Satan is down there and he's torturing people and he's going to torture uh, you and have his way uh, with you. This traditional view of um, eternal life and hell. It's not biblical. Here's a biblical view. You're born... And uh, sometime along your life, uh, you hear the gospel and you respond to the gospel. Uh, you are saved. And you, uh, when you die, when death happens, you go to be with Christ. And if you don't know the Lord, when you die, you go into the grave, as we just read from uh, Revelation chapter 20. One day, Christ will return. When Christ returns, there is a judgment of all people. All people, John 5, will be resurrected, righteous and, unre and unrighteous. The righteous go into a renewed heaven and an earth, not where your dreams come true, but where God has his way all of the time. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about God, not about you. Hope that doesn't disappoint you. It's about God and what God wants. That's what heaven is all about. It's kind of, as Pastor Charles refers to, a kind of an acquired taste. Because we naturally uh, always just want our way, our way, our way. Heaven's not like that. Not your way. And there's no voting. No surveys are taken. It's about Yahweh and his way, his righteousness. And you long for that. You hunger, you hunger for that. Hell doesn't exist now. It's in the future. Hell is not a place where Satan is today. Satan, what's no part of hell? What's no part of hell? <laughs> hell is a place of punishment for him. Where's Satan? He's here, 
He's on the earth. He's the God of this age. He's the God of this world. He and his dominions are here. They want no part of hell. It's definitely not a place where they enjoy, where they torture people. It's not that at all. Let's look at this top line, this yellow line. This yellow line is summarized by Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you, people in Colossae, who he's talking to, have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. <laughs> it's guaranteed. This is about forming our minds. We should be about forming our minds to be more like Christ, who we are going to be with forever and ever and ever. And that is a process. That formation is a process. Actually, the next series we're going to do after this summer camp is all about giving us practices that help us form the mind of Christ in our own minds. Let's go back to the traditional view. Or um, the biblical view. Done with Dante's view. It's the Bible. People who do not know the Lord, when they die... They go to the grave. It's like an intermediate state. Not a lot is said in the Bible about that. But then when the return of Christ happens, judgment takes place. And then when the judgment takes place, people do not want to go. And <laughs> people don't want to go to a place where it's God, God's way, God's way, God's way. People say, I, I, <laughs> I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I want what I want. I don't know it's right that you get your way. And they get their way. And they go to hell. It's God's way of honoring their human freedom and their choice. What's hell like? It's incredibly awful. Jesus tells us that in many different ways. He calls it Gehenna. Gehenna was actually um, like a place in literal Jerusalem outside the walls where, they would, where there were fires going on all the time as they would kind of burn trash. It's a lake of fire. It's the second death. The fire never goes out. The worm never dies. These are all Jesus' words. Soul and body destroyed in hell. Eternal fire. Eternal punishment. Outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Other biblical authors talk about this place. Next slide. Blackest darkness reserved forever, Jude. Torment forever and ever, no rest day or night, Revelation. Punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. This is probably one of the clearer definitions. Hell is, there's, there's, you're shut out from the presence of God. There's no, there's no righteousness there. There's no goodness there. It's, it's, all about, it's all about us and what we want. It's, we're out of the presence of God. You get your way all the time. Well, some of us say, well, that's not a bad idea, actually. Wouldn't mind having my way. 
Oh, all the time. I don't want God's way. Do you like music? It's God's idea. You like art? That's God's idea. You like creation? That's God's idea. You like the weather? God's idea. <laughs> Everything that you know that has any goodness at all is a part of the creator. It's God. You're going to go to a place that has nothing to do with God at all. Nothing to do with him. That's hell. Most scholars believe um, the, uh, the descriptions of hell in the New Testament are metaphorical. I'm definitely one of those people. Um, if you just think about it, literally, how can you have a literal fire and darkness at the same time? So there's probably metaphors. Here's a quote from uh, Preston Sprinkle and Chan. Most evangelical Christians who believe that hell is a literal place and that its duration is forever do not interpret fire imagery literally. Well-known figures such as John Calvin, Martin Luther, C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, Don Carson, J.I. Packer, Sinclair Ferguson, all understand the fire images non-literally. But that doesn't mean it's a place that you want. All those images represent things that are horrible. They're horrible to be apart from the presence of God. It's just like... If you're going to have pure good, Pure wonder, pure everything that's fantastic. Something has to happen to the evil. Something has, it has to be done away with. That's, that's hell. Right before um, the Christmas services this last year, the day before, I uh, was wandering around in the building, and um, no one was here, just facility staff putting the rooms together. And as I was walking in the atrium right out here, I turned a corner, and I turned a corner, I had to duck because this huge bat just flew right into my face. And it's like, whoa, and this bat's wingspan, this is like a fisherman's story like this, like this. <laughs> probably more like this. Uh, but that walleye caught was like this big, no, it's bad like this. But it just about hit me, came around the corner, just about hit me. And I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. And I thought, well, oh my gosh. And then I thought to myself, hey, I'm Pastor Emeritus. I don't have to care about those things anymore. No, <laughs> I, I didn't say that. So I went to uh, find facilities person. And uh, we have somebody on facilities named Joseph. He's a great guy. So I found Joseph. I said, I just hope we'd see the bat again. And uh, all of a sudden, man, the bat's flying around in the atrium. Man, Joseph goes, whoa, whoa. <laughs> So uh, Joseph gets some other facilities people, and uh, they uh, capture the bat. And uh, I said to Joseph, I said, what happened to the bat? And he says, yeah, we, we got rid of it. And I said, did you kill it? And he said, no, it's one of God's creatures. We just let it go. If that bat was in the room where you're at right now, whether you're watching or wherever, and that bat started flying around in the room, worship service would be over. Trust me, worship service be over. There'd be no worshiping. Be like, people would just be totally freaked out because of the presence of the bat. That is what evil is to Jesus. It freaks him out. And he's going to stomp on its head. And he's going to get rid of it. <laughs> and that's hell. He does away with it. Because if it's a present, worship is just is disrupted. 
And mission accomplished means God has his way. Creation rejoices. Communities flourish. And it's all good. It's no evil. Let me quickly go through some objections to the doctrine of hell. There are many. I'll just give you two. First objection. My God is loving, not uh, judgmental. We live in a world today where just the idea of the word judgment, judge, being judgmental is another way of saying you're a bigot. It's not a popular, just start that as a conversation with your friends sometime. Hey, I'm a judgmental person. Just start that way. Uh, it's not a popular term. Um, so we live in a world where the idea that God is loving and wants righteousness and peace is that's really good. But the idea that God is judgment, that's so much. That's a totally Western mindset. Because if, if you lived in the Sudan right now, or if you lived in the Ukraine right now, and you saw the rape and pillage of, of your family and friends, you would have a hard time believing that God was a loving God if he didn't bring judgment. Here's Love Wolf uh, writes uh, this. It takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis of God's refusal to judge. In a scorched land, soaked in blood of the innocent, it will invariably die. Second objection. Isn't hell overkill? I mean, really, forever and ever and ever? Why doesn't God just destroy uh, those human beings and like that forever and ever? That just seems overkill. So the problem with that objection, and it's a powerful one, is that human beings are made in the image of God. That means human beings are eternal because, because they're, we're made in the image of God. So God cannot take some human beings and not make them human beings anymore. It's logically impossible for him to do that. It's like talking about a, a four-cornered triangle. Triangles by their definition, have three corners. God can't make a three-cornered triangle into a four-cornered triangle because of the definition of what it is to be a triangle, and because of the definition of what it is to be a human being, someone with an eternal soul. God cannot make people not eternal. So people go on forever and ever, and God gives them what they want. They don't want to be with him, so he gives them what they want. J.I. Packer uh, writes this, Hell appears as God's gesture of respect for human choice. All receive what they actually choose, either to be with God forever, worshiping him, or without God forever, worshiping themselves. C.S. Lewis writes this, In the long run, the answer to those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What is it that they're asking God to do? To wipe out past sins and at all costs give them a fresh start? He did that on the cross. To leave them alone? That's what hell is. Their only 
two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. But the most powerful objection is uh, the objection that we sense when we hear this kind of talk and our minds go numb. And we say, but Pastor Chris, I know people who are really good people, and they're my best friends, and they do not, they don't believe in Christianity. They don't, what, about, what about those people? I don't want those people to experience life without God. Here, here's the end. God doesn't want that either. He doesn't want that either. The Bible is very clear about that. We read uh, in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. First Timothy, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Ezekiel 33. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn, turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He loves the world so much that he did what? Yes, that's John 3.16. The idea of hell is buried in that famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You may be listening to this message right now and you're just thinking, oh my gosh, I, just, I, I, I don't want that for myself. You do not have to have that for yourself. You just need to say yes to Jesus. You need to say yes to God. You need to come to a place in your life where you say, I know that I am a sinful person. I know that I don't deserve heaven. I need a savior. I place my faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for my salvation. If you do that right now, there is angels, there are angels singing in heaven because you've just, you've just switched your destiny by placing your faith in Christ. It's not because of you, but because of God's grace and his love for you. You know, when I give talks like this that are hard talks, I feel like, um, bear with me here. I feel like I'm your dentist. <laughs> your dentist ever come up to you and say, yeah, I looked at the x-rays and you need a, you need a root canal. Nobody ever sits in a dentist chair and goes, oh, yeah, root canal, awesome, way to go. But the dentist is telling you what's true. You just don't want to hear it. Welcome to the dentist chair. If you know anything about Orthodox Christianity for the last several centuries, you'll notice that everything I've said in this talk is there's no new information here. This is Bible 101. It's a major theme in the Bible, actually. Our job as pastors is not to 
give talks that make you feel good. Our job is to teach the Bible. And at Blackhawk, we go right to the hard things. Just like a good dentist will tell you hard things that you do not want to hear. Every being, every human person that you know is an eternal being. Every person that walks by your house has an eternal soul. Every person at the intersection that you see in your car as you drive home, every person is eternal. Eternal beings. Every person at your work that you work with, even the people that you don't like, they are eternal beings. Every person in your family, even the, even the people that you don't like, they're eternal beings. And we get lost in temporal arguments? Oh, church. If you have a heart made of rock, this doesn't bother you. But if your heart is soft, what I've been talking about should cause you to cry for people that you know that do not know the Lord. It caused Paul to cry. He writes in Philippians, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is the stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Who are you crying for? Who are you crying for, church? <laughs> Anybody? Or are you just mad? <laughs> Everyone you know has an eternal soul. Are you praying for your neighbors? Do you even know their names? Do you care? Our mission as a church is to build a loving community that follows Christ in order to reach a world that is lost without him. This is a big part of why we exist as a church. What are you doing with the information that you've heard in this series. You know the storyline of the Bible. So what? What are you doing? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would turn us all into good evangelists. And that we would at least pray for people that uh, we run into on a regular basis. We pray, Father, that our mindset about human beings that we interact with and have conversations with and, and, and interact with on the Internet and different social media sites, that we would, we would not be like the rest of the world who's, who's just lost in, in temporal discussions. We pray, Father, that you would help us to see people as being eternal that we would pray, that we would love, and that we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We pray this in Christ's name. And surely for the sake of his reputation, all God's people said,